Welcome to Faith in Focus, an hour or so of discussion, debate and dialogue on various aspects of faith in the 21st century. In this program, we aim to explore everyday's issue from the angle of faith. My name is Amtul Razak Carmichael. I will be your host for today. I have the huge privilege of working as a consultant oncoplastic breast cancer surgeon. I'm fortunate and most grateful that I have been given many opportunities to serve as a volunteer for various projects of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, a community I'm proud to belong. Dear audience, thanks for joining me. Today, I would wish to share with you some thoughts regarding Islam and women's reproductive rights, in particular, the right to have an abortion. In the year 2022, there were global discussions on the sensitive and controversial topic of abortion. In June 2022, the United States Supreme Court overturned the decision that allowed access to abortion as a constitutional right. Run-up to and after this judgment was announced, intense emotions were ignited. Hotly contested debates led to protests and sometimes vengeance. Listening to endless pro-life and pro-choice arguments made me wonder about the Islamic teachings regarding abortion. I was inspired to increase my knowledge and develop a better understanding of the Islamic perspective on women's reproductive rights, in particular abortion. At that time, my knowledge of Islamic teachings on abortion was quite basic. I understood that Islam promotes the sanctity of life, so much so that killing one human being is akin to killing all humanity. I was keen to determine how the Islamic philosophy of the sanctity of life works with the rights of women and their reproductive autonomy. I sought to understand what freedoms and boundaries Islam offer to safeguard the rights of women and their unborn babies. This led me to a journey, a journey of research and discovery. I invested some months to study and critically analyse the scientific and Islamic literature regarding women's reproductive needs and rights. What I discovered and understood is so fascinating that I would like to share this with all of you. I hope this will help us all understand the Islamic perspective on abortion. 
Abortion, of course, must not be confused with miscarriage. Miscarriage occurs when a pregnancy ends spontaneously without birth. There are many reasons why women may have miscarriage. However, today our focus is on abortion. Abortion requires some sort of intervention that leads to the termination of pregnancy. Abortion can be induced using tablets during the initial stages of pregnancy, while in later weeks of pregnancy, a minor local surgical procedure may be required. Most countries have a time limit within which abortion can be performed. In some countries, abortion is permitted for up to 24 weeks of pregnancy. At the beginning of my journey of discovery, my understanding was that the specific teachings regarding abortion would be a refinement of the broader Islamic principles. Therefore, before looking into the teachings specific to abortion, I thought it was important to contextualize the concept of abortion in the broader Islamic principles. One of the golden principles that Islam teaches us is that of Amali Saleh, which is translated as the right action at the right time. In accordance to this principle, all our individual and collective actions are required to be the right balance between freedom of choice, sound judgment and being just to all parties. Amali Saleh, the right action at the right time, should be the overarching principle in all our social, legislative and judicial interactions. But how do we incorporate the concept of Amali Saleh, the right action at the right time, in the abortion debate? I pondered over the concept of abortion in other broad Islamic teachings. The Holy Quran says, And cast not yourself into ruin with your own hands. What I understand from this verse is that as practicing Muslims, we must not endanger ours or others' lives. So what I really wanted to explore was that how Islamic teachings apply to a common scenario where continuing a pregnancy would pose a risk to mother's life. Would it be consistent with the teachings of Islam to terminate such a pregnancy? Then there is another scenario. What if the continuation of pregnancy could be detrimental to mother's health? What are Islamic teachings in a situation where continuing a pregnancy would endanger mother's physical, mental, emotional or psychological health? Does Islam counsel against continuing such pregnancy? And if so, how does terminating a pregnancy be consistent with the concept of sanctity of life? I found this conundrum difficult to resolve. 
This made me appreciate what a blessing Ahmadiyyat is. I searched various question and answer sessions to determine what our beloved Khulafa, our spiritual leaders and guides, have said in this regard. I was really pleased to see that this point has been beautifully addressed by the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed. May Allah be his helper. His Holiness succinctly explained the Islamic perspective that if a competent medical authority deems that pregnancy poses a risk to the mother's life, then it would be advisable to terminate the pregnancy. In the same way, pregnancy with a severely malformed fetus that is deemed unable to survive at birth can be justifiably terminated. I had a eureka moment. This assertion is supported by the commentary of the verse 225, chapter 2 of the Holy Quran, as written by the reformer and arbitrator of our age, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadiyan, the promised Messiah and the Imam Mahdi of our age, on whom be peace. I quote the translated words of the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, regarding exemptions from continuing a pregnancy. And I quote, Indeed, if the woman is ill and it is certain that pregnancy will risk her death, and if there are any other preventative factors, then these would be considered as exemptions. Unquote. The promised Messiah, on whom be peace, explained that the Holy Quran has declared that for a legitimate reason, if someone decides to have an abortion, then it is permissible. I still had some unanswered questions in my mind about the sanctity of life of the unborn baby. How does Islam consider the life of an unborn baby? I further explored the concept of the definition of life. I found an excellent explanation of this concept given by His Holiness, Hazrat Mizat Tahir Ahmed, the fourth caliph, may Allah have mercy on him, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in a question and answer session. His Holiness explained, According to the Quranic teachings, abortion can take place at an early stage when the child is not given a real, genuine identity of its own. And that happens at four and a half months, according to doctors. Almost at half-time of pregnancy, suddenly the child gains a sort of inner consciousness and is granted an independent soul of its own. These are two periods, one of that stage and one of the previous stage. His Holiness continued, In the previous stage, if a woman, that is a would-be mother, feels that she cannot carry the load, and is disturbed by the inner symptoms of pregnancy, she is free to get her child aborted. 
which has not yet become a real child. It's a potential child. It could have become a child, but has not yet been given an independent identity. So abortion at this stage is less dubious. Women can go to doctors and tell them that we feel that this is too much for us. So examine us and if you think you agree with us to remove this child. This is not a religious crime in Islam. Unquote. Understanding this concept of two stages of an unborn life filled me with immense gratitude that Islam supports and guides women to make some of the most complex decisions of their life. By following the teachings of Islam, women are empowered to make rational choices about their reproductive lives in a supportive environment. To be clear, in a situation where pregnancy threatens the life or the health of the mother, the principle of the sanctity of life dictates that mother's life and existing life should take priority over a potential life. This makes the concept of the sanctity of life utterly ambiguous and clear. An unborn child does not have an existing life, potential life indeed, but not an existing life. This is because we cannot be certain that the fetus will survive the term and will be born, live and thrive. Whereas the mother is an existing life, a useful part of society, and she contributes to the lives of her existing and future children. Therefore, the sanctity of the existing life takes priority. I found this to be logical and sensible basis for making important life decisions. The principles and teachings of Islam indeed protect the reproductive rights of women. It was very edifying to see that Islam recognises every abortion as a unique set of circumstances. The pro-life and pro-choice debate could be resolved by developing a clear understanding of life. The concept of life of an unborn baby is further elucidated by His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on him. His Holiness said, But when, at a later stage of pregnancy, the child has gained its own independent identity, that is to say, if he is delivered at that stage, he can be brought up under incubation as a regular human. But prior to that stage, if something is aborted, it can never be taken care of under any incubation. These are two different stages. So at that stage, the attitude of Islam regarding abortion stiffens, according to Islam. Unless doctors tell a lady that it is a danger to her life if you do not abort this child, 
it may pose a real danger to your own life, then Islam has no objection against abortion. But for other lesser reasons, Islam does not support abortion. I found the concept of two stages of life of an unborn baby highly logical. It provides a balanced and fair stance that preserves the sanctity of life, meets the needs of expectant mother and protects the rights of unborn babies. Ignoring these principles and carrying on with the polarity of pro-life versus pro-choice debate will continue to pose risk to women's health and well-being. You are listening to Faith in Focus. Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza Musroor Ahmad has said, Unquestionably, it is a mother who cares and nourishes her child more than any other person. In return, it is the duty of a child to love his mother and to serve her. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Having established that Islam supports a woman in making a choice to have abortion if her life or health is at risk. Next, I attempted to understand under which circumstances Islam prohibits abortion. Islam, Islamic teachings in terms of prohibition of abortion are clear and concordance with the wider principles of Islam. Islam teaches that God is the provider. His attributed name is Razak, the provider. God provides for all his creations. Therefore, abortion for fear of poverty is strictly forbidden in Islam. The Holy Quran safeguards the sanctity of life against a utilitarian approach. This concept has been discussed in detail in an online article in the Review of Religion website. In the Holy Quran, Allah the Exalted says, Say, come, I rehearse to you what your Lord has forbidden that you associate not anything as partner with him and that you do good to your parents and that you kill not your children for fear of poverty. It is we who provide for you and for them. This verse clearly reminds us that God Almighty is the provider just as he has provided for humankind for all ages before, so will he provide for a new life that is to come. For this reason, you should not prevent the birth of your child solely for fear that you may not be able to provide for them. To do so is to, God forbid, renounce the Allah Almighty's attribute as the provider which is sinful and forbidden. 
Commenting on a report by Majlis-e Ifta, the Department of Islamic Jurisprudence, on the issue of abortion, His Holiness, the Fifth Caliph, and the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, stated, and I quote, Apart from illness and risk to life, there are some other instances as well where abortion is permitted. However, it is completely forbidden to have an abortion owing to the fear of poverty. At this point, it is important to understand that a specific commandment of the Holy Quran is that killing of children for fear of poverty is categorically prohibited even by birth control measures. While stating the difference between birth control and abortion, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on him, provided a detailed explanation, which is important to quote here. His Holiness said, and I quote, Abortion and birth controls are two different things. Birth control applies to a situation where a child has not taken root as an embryo. To prevent such happenings is called birth control. But once the child has been rooted in the uterus or the womb, it begins to grow. That is called an abortion if you abort such a child. Islamic attitudes towards both of these things are noticeably clear. As far as birth control is concerned, Islam is not against it, provided birth control is not for the fear that the family will be left without food if there are more mouths created to eat and share the food. Islam totally rejects it and inhibits birth control for this reason, and only for this reason, and for other genuine reasons, birth control is not forbidden. Reflecting on these quotations, I found the liberties and boundaries given to women by Islam simply astonishing. Appreciating the concept that a woman can choose and decide to seek medical abortion to manage her reproductive life filled me with gratitude to Allah the Exalted. How kind and merciful is our God who facilitates mankind in making such complex decisions with so much clarity, guidance and support. In my quest for more knowledge, I reflected on the Quranic teachings that killing children is heinous of all crimes. The Holy Quran says, Surely the killing of them is a great sin. This made me wonder if the fetus was found to be severely disabled and incapable of independent existence, would seeking an abortion in these circumstances be appropriate? The Holy Quran also says, Allah desires to give you facility and he desires not hardship for you. The clause, he desires not hardship for you, describes an important Islamic principle not to make life unnecessarily complicated or difficult.
a severely malformed fetus that is unable to survive and sustain life independently can pose excess hardship. Therefore, under such circumstances, would it be justified to undertake an abortion? Would such an act preserve or violate the sanctity of life? I found the answer for these questions in various question-answer sessions. In a meeting, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, stated that if there is an unborn child who later will grow to become severely handicapped or this child will have severe deformities and quality of life will be poor and if the doctors are 100% sure of this and they advise that the child will have such disabilities that it will suffer all his life and will be a burden on the society, then Islam permits that one can abort the child. However, His Holiness emphasized the fact that doctors must be 100% certain and this decision should not be based on any doubt or speculation. These are delicate and personal decisions. Islam empowers women to make such complex decisions based on clear information, unambiguous guidance and support from the medical profession. Sadly, we live in a world where sexual violence against women is increasing. In the United States of America, amongst the victims of reproductive age, that is between 12 and 45 years, more than 32,000 pregnancies result from rape each year. Yes, you heard me right. To be precise, 32,101 pregnancies each year resulting from rape. Sadly, these numbers are significantly higher in the conflict and war zones. Sexual violence targeting women and girls leads to devastating consequences for women. Recently, in a program on the Muslim television Ahmadiyya, a question was asked as to whether Islam permits abortion in the case of rape. Answering this question, the fifth caliph, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, stated, and I quote, so, in the case of rape also, if the woman likes that she cannot bear the burden of this child because of society, they will raise fingers at her all the time. And even if the child is born, the child also f will face difficulties in his or her environment, then mother can decide to get it aborted. Islam permits it. Unquote. This is totally consistent with the principles of the sanctity of life. This is highly logical stance to take. A pregnancy resulting from rape can be a threat to the mental health of the victim. Therefore, denying such a victim access to safe abortion, if she wishes to do so, 
is practically condemning her to a life sentence. This would be akin to ruining her life and inconsistent with the broader teachings of Islam. I know that man-made laws in some parts of the world prohibit abortion under any circumstances. A recent case in the United States where a 10-year-old victim had to be driven across state boundaries to seek abortion highlights the limitations of man-made legislations. The debate and the counter-debate of the last five decades demonstrate that there are innumerable confounding factors in the abortion discussion, far too many to allow human beings to come up with a perfect legislature that can fully safeguard every woman's reproductive rights. The limitations of human understanding to grasp, let alone incorporate all these individual factors into legislation, renders man-made law inadequate. Before considering a blanket ban on all abortions, we may wish to reflect that the man-made laws are never perfect. They are based on imperfect human understanding. No set of legislation can provide one-size-fits-all answer to the highly personalised issue of abortion. Chastity, as a moral virtue, holds a remarkably high place in the code of Islamic law that govern relationships between the sexes. The Holy Quran says, You approach not foul deed, whether open or secret, and that you kill not the life that Allah has made sacred, save by right. That is what he has enjoined upon you that you may understand. This verse admonishes against unchaste behaviours, either openly or secretly. Chastity commands one to aspire to foster a clean mind and body with high integrity and self-respect. All Muslims are counselled to be modest in appearance, have impeccable behaviour and only have legitimate sexual relationship with nothing to hide. Islam views even the slightest breach of these laws with extreme disapproval. The Holy Quran clearly advises that the intimate relationships between men and women should only happen after a permissible and lawful union. The Islamic principle of preventing unchaste behaviour is to simply avoid immodest activities and company that may lead to immoral tendencies. Islam commands that for the propagation of humanity, men and women should not engage in unlawful relationships because this is a part of manifest evil and immodesty. As mentioned earlier, the Holy Quran says, Do not destroy a life that Allah has declared sacred, save by right. Thus the Holy Quran reminds us 
that if Allah the Almighty has not deemed it lawful to terminate a life, then to end that life is a grave mistake and sin. We as Ahmadi Muslims are fortunate that we have a spiritual guide and leader who takes care of our every need. If faced with this difficulty and dilemma, anyone can write the issue directly to His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, along with the, along with the necessary medical reports to seek guidance from him. So, I hope that you would agree that my quest to understand what guidance, support and advice Islam offers women regarding their reproductive rights, in particular abortion, has been a great journey. I found that sanctity of life is the guiding principle. The sanctity of an existing life takes priority over an unborn life. Life is defined when the unborn baby has developed a shape and identity. Piety and chaste sexual practices are strongly advocated. Women can seek an abortion to save their lives as well as safeguard their physical, mental and psychological health. Abortion, and for that matter birth control, are categorically prohibited for fear of poverty. Victims of sexual violence have a choice to seek abortion if they so wish. And above all, if in doubt, seek guidance and support from our beloved Khalifa and spiritual leader. In the end, I would very much like to share my personal reflection about this journey of discovery in case any of our audience find it valuable. When living in the West, we encounter many issues about women's rights in Islam that may appear complex, difficult and challenging. We may find it intimidating to explore some of the openly debated issues of today. We may be fearful to discover what Islam says about these issues. Understandably, we do not wish to uncover something that puts our faith in Islam at odds with the principles of fairness, justice and freedom. My journey has taught me not to be frightened to tackle challenging concepts and views. I learned that undertaking open-minded research, asking difficult questions and exploring contested issues only enhances our understanding. We all know knowledge is power. A true understanding of the deepest concepts of faith is not only reassuring but also comforting. This deepens our commitment to our faith and empowers us. Thank you for listening to my journey of discovery. It was a joy to share this with all of you. I thank you for your time and attention. I trust that you found all this as thought-provoking as I did. I hope to see you soon again, God willing. You have been listening to Faith in Focus, where most of our programs, including this one, are researched and written by their respective hosts 
and produced by Shamin Bud for Voice of Islam Radio.